I'm Marianne Kolbesat McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Matthew Bernstein, Information Governance Strategist at consulting firm Bernstein Data, about how healthcare entities can potentially avoid security incidents involving legacy data. So Matthew, just for starters, tell us a little bit about your background and how it sort of pertains to this discussion today about legacy data in healthcare. So my background is that before I founded Bernstein Data, which is a consulting firm that uh, helps companies manage or govern their information in compliance with uh, data privacy, information security, records management. Before I began uh, this firm, I was the global head of information governance for Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank is a big company, 120,000 employees, 60 countries around the world and very heavily regulated. And Deutsche Bank had all kinds of data, structured data, unstructured data, voice data, communications data, paper records, everything, and was subject to a lot of regulations in the financial services industry in every major country in the world. Uh, And so that gave me pretty deep and wide background in all that is required from a policy, a technology, and a process point of view to protect data, including the governance part of it, which supports and governance supports the protection of data because you want to keep what you have to keep and you want to dispose of what you don't need. And that's the fundamental contribution of information governance to security is reducing the attack surface and not keeping sensitive data that you do not need to retain. So that's the background and it's relevant for hospitals because you know we're seeing the same issues with hospitals in terms of the growth of data legacy data is retained and generally never disposed and the same kinds of cyber risks so with the growth of legacy data you're just expanding the attack surface uh, that is available for a cyber uh, risk incident whether it's infiltration or exfiltration or whatever the incident is So Matthew, with that said, how closely are you working with healthcare organizations, hospitals, and similar sorts of entities? And based on what you see, what are some of the top mistakes that these entities are making in terms of protecting legacy health data and data retention? So, you know, we've worked with a number of CISOs and who, chief information security officers who seem to be the almost by default involved in information governance type activities because they are leading their hospital systems, information security and cyber risk. And I'd say there are three things that we see as consistent in hospital systems. The first one is that because hospital systems have for a long time as providers of healthcare and subject to HIPAA, they've been concerned with protected health information. And so one of the things that we, what we see is there's a coincidence of the definition of information governance with the PHI that's in their electronic medical record systems. So what I mean by that is there's an assumption made that all information governance takes place within their electronic medical record systems. And so the healthcare information department or whatever it's called does not look to other systems. And so their information governance efforts around PHI may be very good, what what needs to be retained, potentially what needs to be disposed, but certainly protected. But the healthcare information doesn't look outside of those EMR systems. And the people who are responsible for those EMR systems 
are making the assumption that all the PHI in the hospital system is in the EMR system. So they're not worrying about information governance on the systems for which they are responsible. So that's the first thing that creates risk for legacy. And why does that create risk for legacy? Because when we look at and when we deploy data discovery and classification tools, as we are doing now with one of our clients, we find PHI and other kinds of personal data pervasively in other systems, in network file shares, in email, attached to email, in other systems that the hospital uses, in records of all divisions, particularly finance, HR, procurement. So the, the hospital system does not know that PHI has escaped those systems that it thinks are where it's managing its PHI. And then the third thing is that typically in a hospital, but way beyond just the hospital or even the healthcare industry, there's a fragmented ownership of information governance. So both in terms of responsibility and in terms of operations. So you don't have a, you don't have a person who's bringing this all together and saying, hey, wait a minute, across the entire enterprise, we need to consider what we're supposed to retain, what our privacy issues are, what laws we're subject to, and how to operationalize the governance. So we think we've got it under control because we have an EMR system and we have a healthcare management, health information management that's got the PHI. We don't know the extent of our PHI and other sensitive data that's outside those systems. And we don't have the operating model in place with any central risk management to oversee this. And I guess maybe the fourth thing is there's an expectation that we just should keep everything and there's no reason not to because it might be valuable. We might find some you know, value in the analysis of that data. Storage is cheap and no one has a good retention schedule that covers all the enterprise, both you know, medical records, clinical records, and business records that generally don't have that. So no one ever gets rid of anything. So the legacy data that could be exposed in a cyber incident just keeps growing and growing and growing for those reasons. And so, Matthew, you, you mentioned that often PHI gets found in email. And as we've seen in many cyber attacks or cyber incidents involving the healthcare sector, often an employee's email account gets compromised. And not only is that compromise then perhaps a foothold into the systems or other systems, but often just that compromised email account can affect thousands and thousands of people whose PHI shows up in some email that's in that person's email account. And I often wonder, well, why was there so much email in that account? What are the best practices or the mistakes for that matter that healthcare entities make that puts this sort of PHI that is contained in email accounts at risk? So you're absolutely right. And if you look at the reporting to OCR, you'll see that the predominant source of uh, data breaches is either email or network shares. And the thing to know about email is that very few organizations have good policies around email usage and retention. So email should be used as a transitory communication system, not as a filing cabinet. But people use email as a filing cabinet. And so they, they use it to exchange information and they use it to retain information. And you wonder why you've asked the question, why are there thousands of people's PHI in these emails? Because people attach files with lots of information in order to answer a question 
or to complete a task that they do every month. And what we find is they never get rid of those old emails. So every month somebody says, oh, it's the end of the month. I have to email the finance department with all this information. So they just go, they get a file, a giant Excel file that's got all kinds of PHI in it, and they email it to the finance department. And all those sent emails and received emails in finance with many, many months worth of exchanges of information with these spreadsheets with PHI just accumulate. And nobody is saying, wait a minute, let's not exchange the information in email, or once we've received it, let's delete it, or let's agree on a better method to share it. Or once email is, let's say, three years old, it's disposed of unless it's on legal hold, for instance. So the usage and retention of email is kind of never policy driven. And because people can have the ability to attach very large files, you'll, you get into someone's email, you can often find a lot of information. So Matthew, what are the top threats and risks that you see to this sort of legacy data that's outside of the EMR, but it's sitting in other places within an organization? The top risks are that organizations generally don't have a good idea of where their risky data is. Every organization that we talk to, both in healthcare and others, has a sense of this is the kind of data that is risky data, whether it's PII or PHI or PCI, any of these you know, personal information that their regulations are concerned with. They have a sense of where they, what they think is at risk and where it is. And it's all, almost always wrong. There's almost always other environments or environments that we look at that they didn't think had that much information and they didn't think had the kinds of risks that we find. So lack of knowledge of where and what PHI is outside good governance is, is one of the top risks. As we said a moment ago, the breaches of email systems, you know, things other than EMR systems is another big risk. I think another big risk is exfiltration, either inadvertent or, or deliberate. So it's not just bad actors coming in and looking for uh, opportunities to engage in ransomware uh, or other kinds of malicious acts. It's also people internally sending information outside the organization. And there are ways to reduce that risk, but those ways aren't always, aren't always put in place. And then I would say the last thing is that the use of these systems that aren't electronic medical records are just dominant because they are communication and filing cabinets, whether it's file shares or email. So those are, those are why the legacy data, those are some reasons why legacy data is particularly the top threats to legacy data. So Matthew, you mentioned some steps that healthcare entities can take with PHI that might be in email. What right. other steps would you recommend healthcare entities take to better protect their legacy data based on what you see? So I think the number one thing in a summary statement is to implement good defensible disposal policies and procedures. So what does that mean? That means having a retention schedule so that you know what you're required to retain across the organization. So that means what are you required to retain because of healthcare regulation and what are you required to retain because you operate a particular state, that state has laws, or what are you required to retain because you, you interact with people's financial data? So what do you need to have? How long do you need to have it? And that facilitates both disposing of your legacy data that you no longer need to have and keeping your sensitive data estate from growing. In order to implement defensible disposal, you need not only a retention schedule, 
but you need an, a knowledge of where the PHI resides. And then you need some good governance that draws together in a programmatic way, different parts of the hospital system. So you need to be able to have legal, IT, healthcare information management, finance, talking to each other in a coordinated fashion. When you do that, you can implement defensible disposal, which means that, you know, you could, it is not unusual to find 20, 30, 40% of legacy data that is not subject to retention and can be gotten rid of. So the volumes there are significant, particularly when I'm talking about 40% across the entire data state. That's a lot of of PHI that is just hanging around because nobody's ever governed it. And the, the more you reduce its presence, uh, you know, the less likely it is to, to be breached. So it, it's know where your data is, implement defensible disposal, bring together the necessary people in the organization so that you have the governance that allows the hospital system to say, this is what we got rid of on a consistent basis, transparent basis, policy-based, documented. And that then puts you in a good position that you can always say in response to a request, we know, you know, we don't keep that as a matter of practice and good information security. And finally, Matthew, in terms of your previous work in the financial services sector involving records management, archiving, Mm e-discovery, any lessons that the healthcare sector can learn from the financial services sector? I realize that both sectors are highly regulated, but are there any best practices from the financial services sector that you haven't already mentioned that might be something for the healthcare sector to consider? One of the things that companies, all companies have done in financial services is, is a leader in this respect is whenever system technology changes are made, new systems are introduced, existing systems are upgraded, operating infrastructure is changed. The question uh, software as a service solutions are are contracted for. Anything like that raises two questions that people have been have learned to ask consistently that are non-functional requirements. So before you make any technology change, you you ask, is this, is there information security in these systems? Are they properly secured against infiltration? All those information security questions you can ask. The second non-functional area that gets that people look at is business continuity management. You know, what happens in a disaster? Are there backups for this system? That kind of thing. What I would say that financial services has started to do is to introduce a third non-functional dimension to technology change, and that's around information governance. Is this system going to contain PII? Is this system required? Do we have a records retention requirement around this system? Where are we going to keep this data? How long? So when you make those changes, all those non-functional requirements, cyber information security, business continuity information governance should get considered at the time as part of your IT change management, your software development lifecycle, your IT asset management. If you bring it into that arena, you're establishing good governance sort of at a point of entry and a gatekeeping point, not trying to catch up with it after the fact. Well, thank you very much, Matthew. I've been speaking to Matthew Bernstein. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.